of the program. I know. I know it's okay. Don't cry. I'll be back on Monday. Brett Winterbull's coming in after me. It'll be okay. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, after the, so in the next segment, we actually uh, will be joined by Jody Barr. He is the chief investigator at Fox 46 Charlotte, and he had a big story. I mean, well, there's another one. It's, this is the problem. I get so distracted. I go to the website, I start reading, and then it's like, Oh, I see another story on the side. That's clickbait. I'll click it. What else is clickbait for? So I click it. And it's this massive story about Eric Robert Rudolph that he did too. I mean, it is, I wasn't even aware TV stations, local TV stations did like this kind of extensive coverage of a story. So I, and I, I spent like 20 minutes reading it and I was like, oh, wait a minute, I got to I'm supposed to be prepping this other story. <laughs> so, anyway, I went back and read the other one. Uh, it's about cash grabbing at the, uh, at the airports. Yeah, apparently they say you can fly with cash, but take it from me, don't fly with cash. Just don't bring any cash with you, especially like a hundred plus thousand dollars. Don't bring that kind of money onto a plane because it will get taken from you by law enforcement uh, without any explanation. They won't even tell you why. They'll just take it and keep it, and then uh, you lose it. That's how that happens, apparently. Who knew? Actually, I'm kind of curious how he knew, <laughs> how how Jody Barr found out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him, how'd you get this story? It's a crazy story. I've never heard of this. Uh, so we'll talk to him after uh, about 2.20. Um, all right, so let me just, uh, let me just act like uh, Jen Psaki and circle back for a moment on this story about the private building inspectors. This is House Bill 865, and... Call her Ted, if that was his real name. But I, I, I'm curious on the thought process that I heard him running through, which is, so he works for the county. He does inspections. He said, if this bill passes, then you're just going to have all of these county inspectors go become private inspectors and open their own businesses and do it for themselves. And, Okay. <laughs> so wait a minute am i is there a downside to that that i heard I, I was i didn't hear it i didn't hear a downside but then again like i am one who like i have my own company and started my own company and i can tell you yes it's a lot of work but it's also really really rewarding in a way that if you've never owned your own company and started something like that you you don't even know you don't understand and i don't mean that as a way to like you know, minimize people or anything. And some people are not there, you know, people start businesses, they fail and they don't like it. And I get all of that. Um, But it's a whole different kind of mentioned this the other day. It's like, there's a switch that gets flipped in your mind. And once that happens, you just think a certain way um, about business after that. And so I think that there would be a lot of people that would love to go to work for themselves. You set your own hours, make your own, uh, appointments with people and that sort of thing. You build your own client and customer database. You can run a business the way you want to. I mean, how many people go to work in that field? And it could be any field, but you go to work and you're like, these are things I don't like. And if I ever ran it, I would do it differently. Well, this would be an opportunity for you to do that differently. And if they were really good at building inspecting companies, the best builder, uh, the best building inspectors would want to go work there, right? And the ones with the best reputations would be able to do the best projects 
because they would still be certified, right, by the North Carolina Code Officials Qualification Board, which I got questions about all of that as well. Um, you want to, here you go, just a quick brief aside, and I was not planning on talking about this, but my wife and I built a home in, uh, in well, we didn't build it. Uh, it was, uh, it was a, a build to suit, right? So the community, they were building it, whatever, and uh, the, I was alerted, let's say, in this process, I became aware of a certain uh, electrical issue that exists. It has to do with arc fault interrupter breakers, these circuit breakers in your panels. And so the new construction has these, these circuit breakers. And apparently, they're terrible. And <laughs> apparently, a lot of them are just terrible. And if you want to take a look, I mean, you want... Uh, Go take a look at some message boards. Just go type in like arc fault interruption or whatever, interrupter, circuit breakers, bad. That's it. Just something like that. Or AFCI, bad. And look at the message boards that electricians are on and, and how they discuss these things. It's sort of like your ground fault interrupter. So I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but think in terms like, you know, you're in the bathroom and all the, those uh, GFIs, whatever. And so like if you splash water on it or overload it, it, it switches off, right? Same kind of concept, except it's at the circuit. It's or at the breaker box, rather, right? It's, you got to go to the garage. You got to open up the panel and you got to reset the circuit breaker. And apparently these are meant to detect arc faults where, the I guess the electrical charge like jumps you know from one thing to another. The problem is is that a lot of stuff will trip these uh, breakers, and the electricians hate them because you can't. Sometimes you can't figure out, and sometimes they're just poorly manufactured. And I've seen stories of, like these electricians that are like sending back entire boxes of these things because they're awful. And you go in, and and you go into your house and you try to use any outlet in like the living room and everything goes out. Some of the, I mean, some of the stuff is hilarious. Like these electricians, like, well, first you need to do to identify the source problem is you got to get a Ouija board, and uh, <laughs> and you use this Ouija board. Some guy detect he he traced it back to a television. When the screen got too white, got too bright, it would trip this arc fault breaker. And apparently now, ask electricians. Apparently now, what I was told is that they're getting ready to put these things, the code is to put these things on your refrigerator breaker. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen when people's fridges start tripping and they don't know? Because they go out of town for vacation or something and some arc fault current goes through and boop turns off your your refrigerator why would you ever do this why would you oh i'm sure it's safety reasons so anyway i got questions about how some of this stuff becomes code you know <laughs> i've said too much i've probably crossed big uh code right lobbying organizations somebody i mean obviously there's something going on there there's some money going on i don't know News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Want to welcome to the program the chief investigator at Fox 46, Charlotte, Jody Barr. How are you, sir? Welcome to the show. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Certainly. So um, you did this big story. I just want to uh, kind of point out here. Uh, it's like half an hour. It took me half an hour to read this. It's seven pages. So 
uh, we're going to give you like six minutes. And uh, <laughs> uh, no. so the headline on this thing, though, is essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I watched your, your piece and I read it. So I got a pretty good idea. It's basically don't fly with large amounts of money because the government will take it from you. Is that about it? Uh, yes, that is it. But defining the term large uh, from the government is the problem with this. Right. So explain, I guess I'm curious first, how did you get, how were you made aware that this was happening? Where'd you get, I don't know, you know, don't tell, tell me sources or anything, but how'd you get yeah. onto the story? Well, I'd always heard about civil asset forfeiture, just being in the news that, you know, there's this program the federal government can use to take property from Americans and non-Americans, uh, but just seize property without ever filing a criminal charge. So, this is something I'd always wanted to delve into, but finding people that this has happened to, believe it or not, is, is a, a little tough. And in July, we had gotten an email into the newsroom from a man who was flying out of Charlotte Douglas, uh, and he had 27600 bucks uh, in his luggage, and it was seized from him by a Charlotte Mecklenburg police officer who was cross-sworn as a federal agent. So At, at the airport? Goes, yes, right in the terminal. So he's he's walking through with twenty seven thousand dollars in a backpack, and I mm-hmm. think that's got to be addressed like right out of the gate here. Uh, no pun intended. Yep. But like, what's he doing <laughs> walking around with that kind of cash? Well, his story is that he is going through a, a contentious, hotly contested divorce, and that uh, money was uh, being withdrawn from his bank account um, uh, by the other party in the divorce. So he decided that he would start just uh, cashing his paycheck, and instead of putting that money in the bank, he would put that money, uh, he would just get the cash and keep it stored at home. He, uh, he is from Rutherford County, right outside of, uh, outside of Charlotte, so he was in town on vacation and had his cash with him. He had driven here from Houston, Texas, where he's working right now, and he was flying out to Oregon, he says, to meet a friend. They were going to gamble uh, out in Oregon, and uh, it was the last two days of his vacation, and he never made it out of Charlotte Douglas. Because they took all the money. So, And I thought this is kind of, uh, I don't say devious, but disturbing to me, that you go through the line, TSA screens everything, and you never know that they have flagged you. They just mm-hmm. put in a phone call, and the next thing, he's sitting in one of the bars, and he's drinking a beer. It's 7 in the morning, but as you mentioned in the story, he's a second shifter. So... This drinking at seven a.m. is not a you know not a thing for him or me. No, I'm kidding. But um, he's so he's there having a beer, and the next thing he's approached, and they basically take his money, and they leave. Like they give him a piece of paper, and they walk away. And now to get this money back, as you say in the story, uh, he's basically got to hire an attorney and drop probably more money than he had taken from him in order to fight this. So where's the incentive to fight? And that is, you know, in, in a lot of these cases, I mean, we hear about the big money cases, but I mean, there is some of the data we got from Homeland Security. There are cases a thousand dollars and under where, where people have had that cash seized from them going through, you know, a TSA checkpoint. So in most of the cases in these civil asset forfeitures, and we're talking just inside of United States airports, is a lot of these cases, it would cost you far more just for the time and effort for a consultation with an attorney than it would ever be to go through this 18 to 24 month process to fight the federal government, or really you're fighting the U.S. Attorney's Office, um, to get this money back. 
So I'm sure they all wanted to go on the record and address this issue with you, clear it all up for you, right? You got lots of comments from the government agencies involved? (laughs) You know, uh, that would have been nice. But no, uh, you know, surprisingly, uh, TSA was the only agency to talk with us about it because from, from TSA's standpoint, TSA is telling me, oh, we're not a law enforcement agency. We're just trying to keep dangerous things off of aircraft. That's the only role we have here. We don't seize money. Well, TSA is the frontline watchdog for every one of these airport seizure cases because, of course, like everyone, you plop your bag down on the scanner and you walk through, you, you walk through the metal detector. And meanwhile, there are a couple of agents, TSA officers, watching the scanner, the monitor, to see what's inside of your bag. You know, in, in both, you know, the case out of Charlotte Douglas, the guy says they scan his bag. He sees them looking at the scanner, but they never say anything to him. Right. So TSA weighs him through, and then the next thing he knows, he's in a terminal, and he says, um, again, a Charlotte Mecklenburg police officer acting as a federal agent walks up and says that, you know, his dog alerted on the guy's bag, and then... They were inside of it, taking his money out of it. Right. So the idea there is that they've got the canine unit and that the dog hit on the bag. It alerted to the bag so that there's, what, drugs or some bomb material or something in the bag that would allow them to uh, uh, open it up. They ask him, can we search it? He says, sure, there's nothing illegal in there. Now, I would also point out that, like, all money, basically all U.S. currency has some drug residue on it. I think there was like some big study that came out about this. It's like <laughs> everything's got some drug residue on it. So I guess if you've Thank got God 20. What else? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Because they roll them up and use it for Coke. I don't know. But if the if that's the idea that you got twenty seven thousand dollars in cash in your bag, then I'm assuming the dog might very well have hit. But it didn't sound like in the interview that a dog actually did hit on that bag. They just happened to walk up to him and say, let's see your bag. And well, then his, they took his money. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, his story is that, you know, he's walking two by two through the uh, TSA security checkpoint. And, and you've been in the airport when this happens. They'll take you and another passenger. You go side by side and you both walk past the dog um, that, that's set up in the middle. And he says he did that. And not, nobody said anything to him. No one alerted, no dog alerted to him. And it was only after the TSA saw his money and he believes put a target on his back that he walks through the terminal and there are cameras everywhere where law enforcement can see everywhere you go, obviously in these airports. But it was only after that he had sat down, had that beer. He saw these agents eyeing him and then eventually came up and confronted him. Well, and here's the, here's what makes me not trust that story either. Um, from, uh, uh, from the official version of the story is that if the dog alerted on the pass by, why would you let that potential perpetrator get into the terminal? If the dog alerted, <laughs> then why are you letting the bomb go into the airport? Why would you stop? Why would you stop him right there? That doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, so well, right. here's an important yeah, part go ahead. of that story. It was a totally different dog and a totally different officer. That does undermine the original story then, yes. That does undermine. If it's a completely different dog altogether, then yes. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make any sense either. Um, I'm sure there's – all right, so that's one case. You also looked at this other case, which is actually for over $100,000 out of Raleigh-Durham. And uh, you, I saw that you went actually up to Raleigh-Durham. You got a video of the interrogation very disturbing to me. Now, I don't know how much time you got with us. I got to go to news. If you want to stick around, can you stick around for another segment? Totally sure, up to I'd you. Love to, 
Love to talk about this. News Talk 1110 wbt the Pete Callender Show. And joining me is Jody Barr. Jody Barr is the chief investigator, uh, reporter at Fox 46, uh, fox46.com here in Charlotte, and uh, did a big story. And I mean, it's a big story, like very large, long, lengthy. It's And it really, so first off, congrats on, on like local news doing this kind of in-depth reporting. You know, like this is this is pretty unique in today's day and age, I think. So congrats on that. And Kudos to you guys in Fox 46 for doing this kind of work. Um, and you mentioned first the story, Cody James, uh, the first guy you talked to. The second guy that you uh, that you spoke to, he's out of Raleigh, right? A guy by the name of, is it Raymond Lyon or Ramon? Yeah, Ramon Lyon. Yeah. And so over $100,000 this guy tried to bring through the uh, the gate and... He got stopped too, and they took his money as well. What is he use a hundred something k? What's up with that? I mean, come on, like that's obviously going to raise some red flags. Yeah, it's uh, well, it did raise red flags, and but I'll tell you first, if you're wondering, if you are flying domestically in the United States, never crossing the United States United States border, TSA's own rules, which are published, they're 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 in the public domain. Anyone could go pull them up. And it says in there, it is Ill, not illegal. It is absolutely not illegal to fly with large amounts of cash within the United States. So knowing that, uh, Ramon Lyon carried through $115,000. Uh, he, he says he does most of his business in cash. He owns a gaming business in Raleigh. And he says he was flying out to California to meet a vendor to buy video machines for this gaming business. And so... He loads his money into his bag, takes it through TSA, and, um, of course, you know, once it, it goes through the scanner, uh, the TSA officers see what the feds call bulk currency. They could see this in the bag, and, you know, it, it, it went on from there. So, now, and you mentioned in your story that uh, an officer noted a strong odor of marijuana coming from the luggage. Lion had, quote, artfully concealed a bundle of vacuum-sealed money under the liner of his carry-on bag. Now, um, I could understand why you might want to conceal $100,000 in the piece of luggage, because you don't want to get robbed. Um, but I also kind of wonder, like, is this, like, is he doing something illicit here, and he got caught, and now, you know, he's going to come up with a story because he was actually trying to do something. And I think this is what the allegation is in a lot of these cases, which is they're bringing a bunch of money into another state that allows marijuana sales, and they're going to bring pot back. They're going to make a bunch of, they're running drug money, basically, right? Isn't that the idea? Yeah, I think that's the idea. But, you know, you just think about this, you know, what moron would go through an airport with money that could be easily, tied to the drug trade, right? Well, that's, that's the first question. Ramon Lyons said that he, this is his story again. He's going to buy gaming machines. Right. And, but, you know, he does have a lengthy criminal record. I mean, this guy has been convicted of multiple felony drug charges, some trafficking charges, you know, that started in the early 90s. But his last convictions were in January of 2011. So nearly 12 years ago uh, was the last time he was convicted of, of any crime, and the feds wrote that in the affidavit that they filed 
to argue to a judge that we believe that this money is connected to the drug trade. Not that we can prove it, but we believe. And that is all it takes. That is the standard under civil asset forfeiture for the feds to take your money and you never get it back. What I found the most disturbing in this story was the video of Ramon Lyons' uh, interaction with law enforcement, who was a Raleigh police officer, Aaron Woodleaf, um, who described himself, according to your report, as being attached to Homeland Security when it mm-hmm. comes to cash seizure investigations. And he says, look, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to seize your money. This seems odd. And uh, we're going to give you 60 days to come up with the receipts. And the U.S. Attorney's Office will give you the chance to provide legitimacy for your money. And uh, and we're going to start investigating you. I mean, he's kind of like like really coming at the guy pretty hard on um, this you know threat of an investigation. We're going to get all up in your bank accounts. We're going to take your phones. We're going to look through everything. Or you can sign away this money and all of this goes away and that to me is again like you're not and i think you asked a lawyer this in one of your reports like this is not crime fighting anymore right this is a shakedown well that's what ramon lyon believes happened and his attorney also believes that that this was a shakedown by again a local police officer who could not do this at under the oath he swore to north carolina but he can because he is cross-sworn as a federal officer. So he gets to, and, he, and the officer says this in the interrogation, we change hats, meaning that at, on one level, they are just state law enforcers. On the other, when they need to, when a large amount of cash comes through an airport, they can put on this other hat and become a task force officer and, and take this money. But the officer tells him early in that interrogation video He says, I believe there is some legitimacy to your claims. So the officer's telling him, yeah, I believe that you may be going to California to purchase these gaming machines for your business, but I'm still going to seize your money, and you're going to have to prove to us and the U.S. Attorney's Office that it is not connected to criminal activity. Well, how do you do that? Right. Seems proving the negative. Or you can simply sign this piece of paper and forfeit all of your money to us, and you'll never hear from us again. Pete, I want to tell you, man, when I first caught wind of this video, and we got this, that video very late in our investigation because these, these videos, I have not found another one like it anywhere yeah. from one end of YouTube to the other, anywhere on the Internet where you see this part of civil asset forfeiture. But I got this video, and you know, the person who gave it to me said, listen, you are going to hear a federal agent in these videos tell a guy, I don't want to sound like a used car salesman, but. <laughs> and then he threatens, you know, this is what we're going to do with not with one or more federal investigations. We're going to find out your favorite color, your favorite food. But, again, like you said, if you sign this piece of paper, you could forego those investigations and walk away. And we'll never, you know, this is done when you sign it over. This is what so, you, you hear these same, these same types of conversations you hear in stories about traveling in war-torn countries, right? In corrupt mm-hmm. government-run countries where people have to, you got to pay at all of the tolls, basically, as you go, or else you don't get passage. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, this is a, you know, the part that I think that people, that maybe offends the senses of just people who are inherently American, is that 
we all believe in the court systems and when it comes to law enforcement that we all are presumed innocent until proven guilty. Well, under civil asset forfeiture, again, this has been going on at least since 1984, that these federal agents have the authority by just arguing that they believe that you are this money, not even you, but the money you're possessing is somehow connected to criminal activity, that they can seize that money, go before a court, and, and a judge essentially makes the decision whether you get it or not, based off of the preponderance of the evidence standard in the civil courts, meaning it's more likely than not that this money is somehow connected to, to, to crimes. Right. It's not the criminal standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. It's simple 51 percent to 49 percent. So as long as, you know, plus one and, and that's it, you lose the money. Um, well, uh, great work. Uh, it's a really good story. I urge people to go check it out at the website, uh, fox46.com. And Jody Barr, chief investigator at Fox 46 Charlotte. Thanks so much for your time, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you all, too. not like I'm serious. You don't see a lot of local in-depth investigative reporting like this. And uh, so tip of the hat, as it were, to uh, Fox 46 and uh, Jody Barr for doing it. Yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, my takeaway is do not bring any money, any currency whatsoever into an airport. Sorry, I can't tip anybody, but I don't want to lose any of my money. Now, this has helped. I mean, it really, it, it's helped by the fact that I work in radio, so I don't have the money. That's it's very helpful. So, um, <laughs> uh, all right, let me go over here and bring on Tom. He has been waiting a long time. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the show. What's going on? Hello. How hey, are you? I'm good. What's up? Well, I got two things. The right. first thing is uh, an interesting fact. I'm a little older than most people. Uh, the reason? Does anybody know why they put the magnetic strip in hundred or in money? I remember when they did that, or at least when I remember first seeing it. Um, well, I don't remember if they did it. I was a kid, and we used to pull it out, the little... I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, I don't know if you can drug do that dealers, anymore. That, drug dealers had a hard problem getting money out of the country. So if you had a, a half million dollars in a suitcase, those magnetic strips could be picked up yeah. by just walking down the... Um, you know the breeze or whatever you, they, they've got uh they've got I, i've seen like the wand or whatever where they can just kind of walk past you and just scan sort of like they exactly. do with the metal scanners and stuff and uh they'll, they'll know how much money you've got on you because each of the bands exactly. is uh tied to the denomination yeah well yeah the main reason i called was about your inspector oh okay the fellow who I called in up yeah. on something else that you probably did but didn't want to make a big deal out of it uh, this guy is not afraid of inspectors starting their own business. What he's afraid of is losing his job, <laughs> his security, his insurance, and his, uh, you know, he's not there long enough to get his retirement. Mm -hmm. uh, my experience with inspectors, I, I started my own business, a very successful business, and I've dealt with inspectors in the construction business. Mm -hmm. uh they're too lazy to start their own business. Well, okay, like some might security. be. Sure, some might be. I think some might. Uh, 
I think most of them are. Okay. <laughs> the ones I've dealt with. <laughs> well, all right. I, I have only dealt, yeah, I've only dealt with, I think, one in person. It was in Mecklenburg County years ago, and he was fine. Um, and then I've dealt sort of, uh, you know, third through the other builder. Uh, and so I don't have any real direct knowledge of that. But, I mean, I, yeah, I understand. They, they love yours. power trips, those guys do. I have heard and that as well. Yeah. You know, competition from uh, the private sector would definitely. Well, and that's uh, what kind of, of some of those guys. And, and that's what kind of threw me at first was when he said, well, you know what we'll do? We'll just go out and set up our own businesses. And I said, yeah, well, that'd be fine. And then he seemed to not be fine with that. And so I guess I misunderstood that, like, he was like, I assumed when he said that, that that was a good thing. <laughs> and I think now I know. that he, uh, when he said it, he was saying it like it was a bad thing. And, yeah, and that's what threw me. <laughs> it is for him. <laughs> right. And yeah, which is a foreign concept to me. And I think a lot of people in the private sector would be like, yeah, you go into business for yourself. That'd be fantastic. Then you, you're your own boss. You could do whatever you want and set your own hours, set your own pricing, do the things right that you have identified wrong and all of that. Um, but yeah, so that kind of threw me, I think the, the comment about the pension, I mean, like there are, like there are pension programs that you can set up retirement programs that you can set up in the private sector. I'm not sure if he was aware yeah. of that too. Like you can yeah, fund your you own retirement. You fund them though. So you, well, yes. You'd have to walk away. <laughs> he, he was going to walk away from a, a pension. Right. But, yeah. Uh, that was. <laughs> for someone that spent eight years in the uh, state employee uh I was a school teacher for eight years, uh-huh. and thank goodness I hated that job. Uh, but anyway, I quit teaching and started my own business. Best thing ever happened to me was getting out of that job. Yeah, I hear you. And and starting my own business. Yeah, I'm retired now, and uh, you know I'm. Well, how was that possible? How could you have retired without a pension? How were you able to do that without a pension? <laughs> I worked my butt off for 40 years. Right. <laughs> I built buildings. This is where I, I had to deal with inspectors. And I don't have a lot of, you know, I don't have a high opinion of them. Mm. Um, never, I mean, I never really met one that was really um, a hard worker. Uh, I, I am kind of curious they, the they path. They come and go when they want to, and uh, they don't care about, you know, your, your, you know, you having to spend money waiting on them. They don't yeah. care about that. No, I, I do get that. Uh, Tom, I do appreciate the call, sir. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the insight. Oh, no problem. Yeah, thanks for calling. Have a good weekend, sir. Um, yeah, I, uh, it's one of the things, I am curious about the path, the career path that, that people take to, to get on there, to, to say, I want to be a building inspector. I mean, because you got to go through the training. Is it somebody who is in the construction industry, in the field or something, and then they get diverted into the inspection? I, I don't I'm, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'd be kind of curious about that just to find out how people end up on that path. Um, let me get to this because I thought it was just a good story to go into the weekend with for some reason. The Daily Mail reports that a 50-year-old fellow by the name of Behan Mutlu, he is a resident of Turkey, and he wandered off alone into the forests of Kayaka after he had been drinking with a bunch of his pals. Um, during his wanderings, Mutlu was said to have eventually stumbled upon a search party that was combing through the trees looking for a missing person. Local reports noted that Mutlu 
was inspired to join the search party and began taking on the valiant effort to track down the missing person despite his reported intoxication. Apparently, they the search party was okay with uh, this drunk guy helping him out, <laughs> searching too. Um, so he's going around with the search party looking and looking, and it's only when one of the rescuers begins shouting out the name that he realizes they're looking for him. They were looking for him. He had been wandering around for several hours that his pals uh, grew concerned, and uh, they got law enforcement and his wife uh, to uh, put together a search party. And then they confirmed his identity. So there you go. So just keep that in mind when you're out this weekend, folks, okay? Brett Winterbull's up next on News Talk 1110 wbt We'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 